Good morning. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalms, the book of Psalms this morning. We'll start in Psalm 15. We are seeking to re-engage this year in our love for God and for His church, for our neighbors. And we've been exploring each of those relational circles by looking at two psalms that relate to each circle. And this morning, we're moving into that crucial third circle, loving our neighbors, especially those who don't yet know Christ. And towards that end, we're going to trace a circle three theme as it runs through four different psalms this morning. And so as you find your way in the psalms to Psalm 15, where we'll start, I'd like to pray for us. We'll, we'll open the scriptures together. Lord, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You are good to all, and your mercy is over all that you have made. Lord, we know that includes our neighbors. So we pray you'd help us this morning learn how to bear your love to them and your mercy all the more. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So scholars like to categorize psalms. Um, they put them into groups, like psalms of lament, or psalms of thanksgiving, or psalms of ascent. Um, you can think of them, since the psalms are really songs, think of them like playlists. Okay? The lament songs would be your blues playlist. The psalms of ascent, where people are traveling to go up to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, maybe that's your road trip playlist. Psalm 15 has an interesting uh, playlist that it's part of. One scholar calls it a psalm or a song of the gate. Um, think of it like you're getting ready for church playlist, right? And so what this psalm likely was sung was when they approached uh, the gate of the city or perhaps even the gate of the temple to worship. Um, this song would be sung by the pilgrims who were traveling into the city. Verse 1 in Psalm 15 kind of sets the theme for this psalm. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And Pastor Sam Storms clarifies this question that the psalm's going to address a little bit when he says that we should be assured the psalmist is not talking about how to be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to God here. David is not describing the means by which to be saved, but rather what it means to be saved. These moral declarations in the psalm are not conditions for acceptance with God. They are the consequence of it. Thus, David's not talking about requirements for entrance into God's kingdom on the part of those outside, but about enjoyment of the king on the part of those who are inside. So the psalm is laying out for us a pattern of living whereby God pours out his blessing on his people, particularly we, we draw near to him in worship and enjoy and experience his company. Um, now, if you notice in your Bibles, the psalm is attributed to King David. He's connected to it, either wrote it or is connected to him somehow. And so here David answers that question, what kind of life enjoys the blessing in the most full way of God's company? And he's going to list about 10 characteristics or so. and we'll, we'll drop in on just a couple of them. But they can be summarized with one word, integrity. Look at, look at verse 2. The one who enjoys God's company walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. So he's going to walk out what this integrity should look like. And as he does, 
you're going to see that it focuses on how we treat our neighbors. Uh, look at verse 3. This, this man who enjoys God's company, this woman who enjoys God's company, does not slander with their tongue, does no evil to their neighbor, doesn't take up a reproach against their friend. So what he's describing here is integrity of speech. This God-pleasing life resists the temptation to gossip, to speak words that harm, to join in on our culture's feeding frenzy of personal attacks. Okay. Now, if my Hebrew memory is right, the word for tongue there is actually Facebookim. Okay. I think that's exactly what the Hebrew means there. But if it's not in the Hebrew, it should be in our application of it, shouldn't it? To put it positively, we are for our neighbors. And if they read our social media posts, they should know it. Here's an intriguing question. Could the President of the United States, past or present, be considered my neighbor? Okay, there's a, there's a theme in this psalm that runs parallel to this that I want to trace today through all of these psalms of neighbor love. And it pops up in the last verse of this psalm. Um, so the person who is enjoying God's company does not put out his money to interest at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. And it's that first phrase, not putting out your money at interest, that I want us to focus on. Not on the technicalities of whether or not you should fuss your banker out because he's charging you interest. But more the principle that underlies that. The focus is on lending or giving to those in financial need. Why else are they borrowing, right? And the principle is that the God-pleasing person lends them their money for their good, not my gain. So I'm doing this for them, not me, because of their need, not for my profit. The broader biblical principle here is I will not gain in a way that exacerbates another's misfortune. Okay. Someone else's expense. The book of Leviticus talks about this principle. In chapter 25, it says, If your brother becomes poor, cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So, so about, probably about 20 years ago, I, st I still remember this encounter. Uh, there was a student from Southeastern who was a part of North Wake. He graduated from Southeastern. Those of you who are students, it happens. People graduate. One day it may happen to you. Um, but he was graduating. He's moving away from the area like most students. He's pretty much dirt poor. So he and his wife had to sell one of their cars in order to make the move. Um, one of his professors, not a North Wake professor, let me be very clear, this professor did not attend our church, um, found out that this student needed to sell his car and went and made a lowball offer on that car that was far less than what the car was worth because he knew the student was in a tight spot. 
And I still remember the pained expression on that student's face when he told me about how that made him feel, that his brother would take advantage of him in that way. See, God wants us in our financial dealings with those in need to be more concerned about their need than my making a buck. So this may change the way you do Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist and such, right? Um, but before we chase this theme of caring for our neighbors in need financially any further, I want you to see how this psalm serves another very important purpose. So imagine you're approaching the gate of the temple to worship. You're with a bunch of other pilgrims. They start singing this song detailing the life of someone who draws near to God acceptably in worship. And the lyrics are pretty daunting. This person is blameless. They're speaking truth. There's no slander. There's no evil doing. They sacrifice their own good for others. And likely at this point, you're starting to feel pretty unqualified to worship God. And that's the point, right? At that point, you're starting to realize you need to bring a sacrifice into the temple in order to be accepted there, to have your sins paid for. And so a psalm like this shows us not only how to live, but it reminds us that we always fall short of living it out acceptably before God. And so we too, like the saints of old, need a sacrifice to draw near to God and enjoy his company. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that sacrifice was made by Jesus on the cross. The New Testament uses that language when it talks about Jesus. It says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this morning, in the midst of all this, don't miss where this psalm and many of the psalms point us to, to Jesus, our sacrifice, who bore our sins on the cross so we could sojourn in God's tent and dwell on his hill. These are symbols of the most intimate places of worship and communion with God in the temple. So now, let's, let's chase this theme, though, of caring for neighbors in need in a second psalm. Uh, look at Psalm 72 with me. Okay. This is from a different playlist in the Psalms. Um, this is called a royal psalm because it has the king of Israel in view. In this case, as you notice, it says King Solomon. And this psalm is describing the kind of king the people were longing for. Look at verse 6. May this king be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is going to be an awesome king. He brings peace and prosperity and his reign is long, if not forever. So they're really longing for here is a king who aligns his heart with the heart and will of God. And as you look at the opening verses, you're going to see the trait that's at the forefront of what that heart of the king needs to be like. Look at verse 1 and 2. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteous and your poor with justice. Verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. If you drop down a few more verses, verse 12, 
He delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood, their life's blood in his sight. So this good king that they're longing for, who they hope their king Solomon will be, right, is one who exercises care and justice on behalf of those who are in need, just like the God this king serves. Listen to how Deuteronomy describes our God. It says, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So he's the king, this, this ideal king, who points to the ultimate compassionate king, King Jesus. Look, look again at those latter verses in Psalm 72 I mentioned, verse 12. This king delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. See, when this king sees someone in need, his first thoughts, it seems, are those of pity and compassion. When he sees them suffer violence, he wants to act on their behalf because their life is precious to him. Now, in our, in our, in our little city, one of the most obvious encounters that we have with folks in need in our community is at the intersections where they hold up signs and they tell you they're in need, right? Describes what their need is, and they, they're asking you as you pass by to help them with their need. Um, and i got to be honest with you, my first reaction to those encounters is rarely compassion. Um, I tend to be suspicious, maybe even cynical. And, I, and I'm, this is what I'm... This is what I'm thinking. I'm not proud of this, but this goes through my mind, right? If they can stand out here all day, why don't they get a job? You know, if, uh, how, how much are they making an hour? Is that because they make more out here than they would in another job? Uh, and how do they get here and back? Is this part of some kind of a racket where somebody drops them off and then picks them up? And is this kind of like an internet scam in person to get my money? I mean, honestly, I have thought those things when I'm sitting at that intersection. You know, you know the one out on Capitol? Um, now, my daughters, both my daughters live in Asheville, and Asheville has a large homeless population there, and there's several men and women who work the intersection at the interstate and Highway 23, which is right close to my youngest daughter's house. And so I'm out there recently, and we're going through there, and it is cold. today, like today. It's cold, it's rainy, and they're out there um, with their signs uh, working the intersection. And I start working through out loud all my suspicions. And so my daughter turns to me and says, you know, I try to keep a case of granola bars in the back so that I can give them one when I drive through. I'm like, thanks for that, you know. <laughs> um, now, to make matters worse for me, um, there's a guy that started working the intersection way out in Youngsville where I live, the intersection of 96 and Capitol. Maybe you've seen him. Uh, he's out in the median out there uh, asking for help. And... There's this crazy lady from North Wake who doesn't just drive by and not make eye contact like I try to do. She, she parks her minivan, 
runs across Capitol Boulevard traffic, meets the guy, introduces herself to him, asks him if he has any needs, including if he needs Jesus, right? Um, and I'm reminded of the words of a pastor from long, long, long ago, John Chrysostom, who said, whether the poor people you help are worthy or unworthy, the reward for you will be the same. And so in this psalm, the king is exemplary. The people should be like the king they follow, who in turn is like the God that he serves. He has pity on the weak and the needy. Precious is their, is their blood in his sight. Let's go to another psalm. Flip over Psalm 112 real quick. Um, now this psalm is interesting. It's an acrostic. So every line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and they work all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. It's a carefully crafted uh, psalm. And it's from the playlist that's called Wisdom Psalms. And it almost has a feel of the book of Proverbs, giving wise counsel as it describes the blessings that flow from God onto his people when they are glad to obey him. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who greatly delights in his commandments. And the psalm goes on and lists a bunch of those blessings. Um, the kids are blessed. The bank account is blessed. Your legacy is blessed. It goes on and on with all these blessings that come to someone who's glad to obey God. And it describes the life of this person who's glad to obey God. He's gracious in verse 4, merciful and righteous. Verse 7, he's not afraid of bad news. His heart's firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He'll not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. This, the psalm says, is a life that God is happy to bless. Right? And sure enough, as you start looking at the descriptions of this life, our theme of caring for neighbors in need is in the mix again as well as a trait God loves to bless in a life. Look at verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends. Drop down to verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. God loves to bless the one who is generous to those who are in need. Okay. Last Psalm, verse 41. Skip over there and look at how it starts. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He's called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed, and in his illness, you restore him to full health. Probably a personal testimony from the writer of the psalm. But all those blessings, right, deliverance from trouble, protection from harm and from enemies, being sustained on their sickbed, all those blessings are lavished upon this person by God for one stated reason, just one reason. He considers the poor considers the poor and from that all these blessings flow Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the well-off and the secure have too often become indifferent and oblivious to the poverty and the deprivation in their midst the poor have been shut out of our minds and driven from the mainstream of our societies because we have allowed them to become invisible ultimately a great nation is a compassionate nation no nation can be great if it does not have a concern for the least of these Blessed, indeed, is the one who considers the poor. Now, since 
last March, the end of last March, in our state here in North Carolina, 1.5 million people have filed new unemployment insurance claims. 1.5 million people in our state. You know, uh, now we're at a point where 10% of Wake County, our county, uh, lives below the poverty line. 10%. That's around 100,000 folks who are barely getting by. Maybe they're not getting by if they have any kind of bad luck. Uh, Gary Haugen is the president of International Justice Mission, and he, he describes um, being poor this way. He says, I recall the way an old history professor of mine defined poverty. He said, the poor are the ones who can never afford to have any bad luck. They can't get an infection because they don't have access to any medicine. They can't get sick or miss their bus or get injured because they'll lose their, their menial labor job if they don't show up for work. They can't misplace their pocket change because it's actually the only money they have left for food, and on and on it goes. He says, of course, the bad news is everybody has bad luck. It's just that most of us have margins of resources and access to support that allow us to weather the storm. God blesses those who consider the poor. And so here's, here's one way to re-engage this important piece of circle three of loving our neighbors who are in need. Um, it's called our Gen 12 offering. You've heard us talk about it. It is above and beyond our regular giving to the church. It involves sacrifice, okay? Don't, no doubt about it. And it's going, on the one hand, to send missionaries and to, to plant churches. But there's a third part of it called the neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor pledge where you pledge an amount of money you're going to keep in your pocket to give to folks you meet in our community who are in need. Okay? Now, that's raised some questions that have come to me, and I want to, I want to do a little FAQ about the neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor pledge. So, first of all, no, you don't literally have to carry it around in your pocket. Okay? I'm just, it's just a way of saying you keep it and have it ready to give to people who are in need. Okay? Secondly, what if my neighbor who's in need is a Christian? Still your neighbor still ought to love them. So yes, give, doesn't matter. Give generously to folks God puts in your life in need. What if I don't know anybody in need? One friend said, I don't think I can do this because I don't know anybody in need. Here's the thing, it's a team sport, right? Uh, we're all in this together, that's the beauty of it. You may not know anyone in need, but the crazy North Waker who sprinted across Capitol Boulevard to get to the guy in the median probably does, right? And someone like her is going to post a need on our Facebook page that's bigger than they can meet. And you get to pile on and help, right? So let me give you a little update where we are with Gen 12. Uh, there's some su it's super encouraging. Uh, at first, look at this. Um, the, the core pledge that's going to go to sending missionaries and helping four of our newest church plants is over $100,000 we're going to give away this year, $107 and, and some change. $107,000, rather, and some change. To our neighbors, this is beautiful. We're going to give over $25,000 away, over $26,000 away this year, just to folks that you meet who have needs that they lost their job, they can't pay their rent, they need groceries, whatever. They've got medical bills they can't pay. Um, now, the not as good news is that only one out of four North Wakers are on board at this point in time, right? So imagine what it's going to be like when the rest of you join in. It doesn't have to be a lot. 
And if your job is uncertain and your financial future is up in the air because of COVID, fill out one of the cards. They're in the row in front of you and just write down your information and say, count me in. And when God blesses you, give then. We just want to know that you're on board with this, with us. Okay. So join us. Okay. Let's re-engage our neighbors at the point of their evident need. Um, and I'll, I'll send out the link one more time this week if you prefer to do it online. That, that'll come to you one more time. Let me share in closing just one quick story to encourage you in all of this. So it was back in 2012. It was November in Times Square in New York. And there's an officer. His name is uh, Larry DePrimo. He is working a counterterrorism post when he runs across this older, barefooted, homeless man. And the police officer, who's normally assigned to a different section of New York City, says this. He says, I look over, and someone is laughing at this elderly homeless gentleman who had no socks and no shoes. You could see the blisters from a distance, he said. I had two pairs of socks on, and I was still cold. So he asked the man if he had anything to cover his feet. And the, this is what the man said. He said, it's okay, sir. I've never had a pair of shoes. He said, but God bless you. And as the homeless man strolled away, DePrimo caught up to him, asked him his shoe size before walking into a Skechers on West 42nd Street and told a worker there, I'd like to buy a pair of boots, something that'll last a while. I don't care what the price is. And so a few minutes later, the kind-hearted cop bought a $100 pair of all-weather boots, size 12, and a store manager said this, uh, we were kind of shocked. Most of us are New Yorkers, and we see this every day, and we just kind of pass by that kind of thing, especially in this neighborhood. Now, this act of kindness would have gone unnoticed, mostly forgotten, had to have been for a tourist from Arizona who posted this snapshot, up went on, saying the officer expected nothing in return and did not know I was watching. She posted it on New York Police Department's Facebook page. It had, at one point, 600,000 likes. Um, church, I can't wait to hear our stories of how we demonstrate the love of Christ to our neighbors at the point of their evident need, right? Neighbor to neighbor, okay? This year, we want to re-engage, okay? Let's pray. Lord, uh, forgive us our hard hearts. I know, I, I wish I was the only one who was always suspicious first. Help us to be compassionate people like you to our neighbors who are in need for whatever reason. Use us to show and to speak the love of Jesus to them in ways that you will use beautifully in their lives. And Jesus, may you get all the glory and all the credit, we pray in your name.